0: Hi, I'm Howard Tierski. Welcome to the Winning Digital Customers Podcast, where we focus on the stories of large scale digital transformations told by the people who lead them. Hey everybody, welcome once again to the Winning Digital Customers Podcast. I have an amazing guest with me today, Dan Armstrong, currently the Chief Digital Officer of Customers Bank. Very interesting organization, but before I talk about Customers Bank, Dan, has been in the digital space a long, long time. He was with Netscape in the early days, for those of us that are old enough to remember Netscape. And he worked on design of some of the very first websites for companies like Pepsi, Saab, and Major League Baseball. So way, way back in the day when the blink tag was one of the coolest things you could do online, right? So thanks for being here, Dan. And I just want to mention Customers Bank, which is a major publicly traded bank, financial services company with $19 billion in assets and is doing some very innovative things, including that they're one of the first financial services, certainly one of the first banks, offering blockchain currencies to their uh, business customers. So very interesting organization that you work for. So welcome, Dan. And I want to give you the opportunity to expand on anything else about you you think our listeners should know.
1: Uh, sure. No, I appreciate it. Definitely. Uh, yes, I, I cut my teeth in the very early ages of digital and have spent my career trying to find ways to broker that into the new technologies that are occurring. So the first one, after I moved to Europe in 1997, I spent about 20 years there, and I started to work on internet and what internet would mean when a mobile phone could access internet. So we were working on 2G technologies and 3G technologies and auctions for these licenses. And they were so expensive. You remember these 3G licenses in the end of the 90s were like like hundreds and hundreds of millions of what became euros later on. And everybody was trying to figure out what, you know, how do you maximize the value of these licenses? You know, you're purchasing a license to broadcast 3G in Germany or in the Netherlands uh, where I lived. And the answer was that you need to use your networks, your capability, your mobile technology, your Internet technology, and enable other brands, other kinds of things like Virgin Mobile, for example, or Cricket Wireless to be able to use these capabilities. And everybody can monetize based on what what they're doing and their customer segments. So I spent many, many years working on these things, and I did them in Europe and uh, eventually ended up in uh, Africa and Southeast Asia and uh, South America, launching digital products and channels using basically what we learned, trying to do this in Europe, trying to do this in North America. I worked in about 43 countries, doing projects in many, many areas, and also trying to now, for customers bank, uh, take back our our lessons learned on, on giving back accounts to people, allowing people to apply for bank accounts in digital channels and bring it back to to North America, United States, and see if we can learn something from those uh, experiences. Wow,
0: 43 countries. I don't even think I've been to 43 countries and I consider myself pretty well traveled. So that's amazing. I imagine that those countries are pretty diverse. You mentioned some parts of the world that we probably normally think of as probably being more similar to the United States and some other parts of the world that perhaps from a digital footprint perspective maybe quite different. What, what did you find was, was similar or different working on these major digital projects in different parts of the world?
1: Well, 43 countries is a lot, but the mileage is you know, getting there. You know, the, the travel is horrendous. But once you are in these environments, you see there's a lot of similarities between these countries, right? So uh, I worked in de- developed environments all over Europe, um, UK for many years, Netherlands, Belgium, uh, Germany, Spain, Portugal, etc. But then I worked in Central Africa, Rwanda, uh, Tanzania, Zambia, South Africa, Botswana, uh, Mozambique, and in Asia, China, and, uh, and uh, in the Philippines, Malaysia, and India, and South America. But what you realize is that there's more commonality between some of the challenges that people face than you think, right? You think about a language sector, or you think about business and, and export, import. But really, in many of these countries, you, you see similarities to even segments that we have in the United States in major cities and other areas, also rural areas, people that don't have a lot of money that are trying to get access to financial services. So working in islands in the Philippines doing lending, working in central Rwanda trying to convince people that the that the central bank or the government is to be trusted, they have certain earmarks, you know, people react to things differently. So in Rwanda, nobody trusts information coming from top down. In Tanzania, everybody wants to copy Kenya because they have tons of mobile phones and they have M-Pesa and money transfer services. So every country, how you handle, how you market, how you sell products is different, but the challenges are more or less the same. How do you trust a bank to be able to take the money out of your mattress and stick it in a bank because that could be beneficial. You could save, save for a rainy day. You could get a credit score at some point. You could build a little bit of equity. You're not sort of living day to day. And I, I think these problems are replete in Asia, in Africa. And we see the same things in the United States, check cashing companies, payday lenders, predatory lending. There's a lot of things we can learn and bring back to to the U.S. Uh, in order to sell products, make digital experiences that, that that are appealing to people and not just the flavor of the week. You know?
0: Yeah. And... What did you find was similar or different about access to technology I, I think of some of these countries as places where well some of them of course are probably ahead of the united states and, and think of places like south korea and parts of southeast asia that of have directly been ahead of us in terms of access to fast wireless and things and then obviously some of these countries where there's so much poverty i i the cliche as i think about people with less access to digital connectivity is that an accurate perception or is it really not like that or and What's the, what are the challenges in
1: working in, in all these diverse environments? Well, I would say it's, so you have digital technology, which you're, which is what I would call apps, right? So you have apps that disintermediate the provider, the phone, um, your cellular provider from what you're doing. So you have Facebook that is on a phone provided by NTN Uganda, right? The, the fact that we have apps now to be able to allow you to securely log in and transfer value to different places. So you don't have to go to Western Union, you can actually transfer money to your grandmother of country at a fraction of the cost because people have enabled these kind of capabilities. Uh, And when I was there, this is like the very beginning of the iPhones. uh, So you didn't really assume that people had an iPhone or an Android phone. So we had to use text, we had to use USSD, which is a text-like kind of capability to be able to engender the instant payments uh, in different ways. So you'd use simpler, uh, interactive models, you'd use simpler interfaces, and you'd have to do marketing to convince people that this was trusted and this is how you use it. You know, here's how you can pay your utility bills. It makes sense to keep money in the bank account because you can pay your water bill, your electricity bill from your phone if you use these kind of patterns. So I think that just looking at what trust is and how you deal with trust um, is something that's, it's universal. A lot of times we would um, say, hey, pay your bill right now. And you push the button and the money would be gone and you'd pay your bill. It's too fast. I mean, it's too fast for a lot of people. I mean, it's a secure transaction. I'd like to maybe, you know, so we would add seconds to the transaction. Yeah, it's a perception of security that's sometimes more important than actual security, right? Uh So all these things, I think, are, are lessons that we've learned in multiple environments. Um, and how you apply them and how you think about it is like A-B testing focus groups and, and marketing, right? So in some places we would do, you know, raffles. Every time you use mobile banking, you have a chance to win a moped and 10 people are going to win a moped this month. We would sort of tie it to the value that people are seeing in these environments. In other places, we'd use theater, we'd use radio things. We get people to design jingles for our ringtones and things like that, just to sort of promote the pizzazz in electronic banking and those channels as trusted channels. Some of the countries, I mean, you can't actually apply for a a bank account on a phone or or on a laptop. I mean, there's laws that say you have to be in a bank branch. So we'd come up with all these concepts to have kiosks or like small little places that would have temporary banks that you could come to and achieve your accounts there. And And then at some point in these countries, you want to withdraw some cash. Where are you going to do it? In the middle of Rwanda or on an island in the Philippines. So we would go out to all the supermarkets and retailers. Would you like to be a cash-in and cash-out location where you could actually make a commission and act as an ATM in this area where you already have the infrastructure to be able to support people getting bank accounts? So I think all these things have have relevance to Western Europe and North America. And, And I'm not saying everything is the most interesting concept, but they're all about sort of engendering trust and having people use these technologies Uh, More and more and more, which benefits us as banks, but I think it also definitely benefits people to use banking services to their full potential, you know.
0: Yeah, and what you say about trust is so interesting because I can certainly understand how in some of these countries, especially where the governments are less stable, the concern about national currency is not completely unjustified. Today, of course, we mentioned in the intro that your company is uh, a blockchain option, and you know now we see so many i don't know if it's up to trillions of dollars but certainly many many hundreds of billions of dollars circulating in bitcoin ethereum and other kinds of blockchain based currencies which you know don't even have a government behind them and similarly in a way we've got people keeping substantial balances whether it's with starbucks or whether it's with venmo or paypal so we have our money spread out it seems to me in more and more places that in theory we need to trust that that money that we've put there is going to be there when we want it, I don't know, I almost feel like people are less and less worried about it, but maybe that's just in my world. I mean, what do you see in terms of that? As you've moved to being in the blockchain business, you yourselves as a bank essentially become an issuer of a kind of currency, which requires a whole other level of trust than just to put money in a bank. So how do you think those trust lessons that you've learned from these third world countries around governmental banking, you know, reflect on today's payment revolution?
1: So I would say that the stuff we've learned in other countries is very relevant to consumer business and small, small business, right? So consumer accounts, where people are willing to do Venmo and broadcast the reason for their transaction in Facebook and other kinds of areas. So having payment capabilities for consumers, and I think to a certain extent for small businesses, because they have same kind of payment in and out and, and merchant acquiring kind of requirements carry the same kind of characteristics. You need to be open. You need to be secure. You have to be proficient in regulating what's going on in these environments. But it's about capabilities, right? So it's in and out capabilities. It's about trendy kinds of simple uh, friction alleviation. And crypto plays a role there, but it, it, it starts to play a role in international remittance, in investment, and, and it's a bit more speculative because we're talking about open, valued coin values like Ethereum and these kinds of uh, environments.
0: Can't get enough of winning digital customers? You can find even more content and video versions of the podcast episodes on our YouTube channel. Visit
1: wdc.ht YouTube to subscribe. What we've chosen to do in Customers Bank is enter the business environment and use what these technologies enable in terms of speed and instant payment capabilities. So instead of opening up uh, our environment to unstable coins that are fluctuating in values, has a lot of funny stuff, we're using blockchain technology to allow our business customers, uh, which is qu- quite interesting. After the PPP environment, we have many hundreds of thousands of more customers than we thought we had before. And and they, they might not think they're customers. Maybe they think they just got their loan and we'd love to give them more capabilities and more, more um, uh, functional payment tools. Crypto for us is a way to get into making instant payments between business entities that sort of minimize the risk, really, really make things fast. And we know that liquidity management, small businesses, larger businesses, having instant payment capabilities could really impact their bottom line. So we're trying to enter it from an area that is focused on business value and not hype in a way. And maybe we'll get further and further into what crypto could really mean for small businesses or consumers over time. But uh, it's pretty clear other other banks like Signature Bank in the United States has, has done a great job in trying to pioneer some of these areas. So we're thinking that if we could provide value, research the technology, internalize it, professionalize how we're going to support it, then we can build value over time. We can choose to go down market, or up market, or sorry, consumer market or business market. But at least we've done so... By knowing what crypto means for us, instead of just the buzzword crypto and launching kind of products, so it's a small uh, step approach we're taking, which I think allows us to uh, choose the the best technologies for our customers.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so, so you guys have issued your own stable coin,
1: is that right? Uh, There are other banks in the network, but you have to have a lot of banks to be able to do it. You know, you have to have another phone and another network to make a call at the same time. I believe in that. So for us, um, allowing you to make really standardized instant payments is using crypto wallets in our own ecosystem is the first step. And then moving towards other people that embrace the technology saying, listen, Hey, can we all benefit, you know, rising tide lifts all ships. If we can all benefit from instant payments, can all of our customers uh, take advantage of this, and we all benefit. Also, with those relationships, so for us, it's about enabling instant payments in a closed ecosystem, then expanding it going forward, and not doing crazy stuff like unstable coin. We'll get to that later, but hopefully, we'll get to that after the regulatory powers have caught up to what to do with it, because we don't want to, mm-hmm. yeah, play with fire, you know. And,
0: and, and I'm curious if you have an opinion about you know the the, the originators of a lot of cryptocurrency. They have almost, sometimes it feels like an anarchistic philosophy. You know, they're trying to take down the man. You know, it's about being independent of financial institutions like a customer's bank. So it's interesting, of course, to see the same technology being used to create new products by, you know, a major financial services company. What would be your prediction? You know, we've certainly seen other waves of digital uh, disintermediate, you know, it used to be if you wanted an airplane ticket, you had to go to your travel agent and sit to sit at the desk. So, so many companies that, that were following, a, 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 well, so many companies have had their models of how they made money uh, turned upside down and in some cases eliminated because just a simpler digital way made the value they were creating unnecessary. Really extreme points of views, somebody might say, you know, banks themselves might not be necessary in the future. Lending will all be done with smart contracts on crypto. I don't really have that view myself, and I'll, I'll take my travel example. We haven't really gotten rid of travel agents. We still have Priceline and Expedia and Orbitz. We just have a sort of a different type of travel agent who takes a much smaller cut in a much sim- much simpler process of, um, you know, but the, as much as the travel providers would love to have nobody in the middle and sell everything direct and they try, it, it's not really the way it is. So anyway, I'm just curious what your prediction is for banks or title companies or all the other kind of financial companies that some say their, their existence may be threatened by what blockchain and crypto could do to financial services?
1: Well, I mean, I see the point. I'm, I'm an early internet guy, you know, so I got involved in web commerce before there was HTTPS, right? So we, we were selling stuff online at Office Max, And uh, I just don't think that's the answer in terms of financial services relationships, right? You go to a bank as a consumer, because you trusted it, it's at the quarter. You might never go into that. I mean, in, in 1998, 1998, right? The average amount of times that our customers at the Bank in the Netherlands went into a bank branch was one time every seven years, seven years. Right. That was the average. So the people just wanted something to give them security. In case there was a problem, they wanted to go down and do stuff. We didn't didn't even have cash in most of the branches. If you wanted cash, you had to order it, and it would be ready for you. There's no money in those locations. So for me, the the concept of the technology is enabling capabilities. But as your business customers grow or have more complicated issues, other complicated requirements, especially in the lending space, You require some guy. You need to go talk to your banker, your friend. You need to go explain what's really going on because we don't have an automated way to do more complicated and, to be honest with you, profitable banking business. So Customers Bank very much specializes in talking to our customers about what their real business needs are, looking at customized areas. So we're going to force and try to promote what works in terms of technology and automation. Crypto falls into that. But it's not at the expense of what you, I think, as a corporation, want to go to a bank for, which is a guy you can talk to, a lady you can speak to about your lending needs. The ability to sort of negotiate terms or do something a little bit outside the ordinary because you have history with us. You know what we do and how we do it. So I think that there's going to be a mesh of technology. Uh, I I know our, our CEO talks about high touch and high tech at the same time. I believe in that to get it to work perfectly would be a home run. So we're working very hard to combine those two things together and this crypto story has something to do with it. But if you have a problem, you want to call, talk to somebody, we are there. Which is not, uh, it's not uh, to be ignored. Every time you had a problem with a, an e-commerce company or whatever and you called somebody and they solve your problem immediately, I think you became a customer for a long time. You, you liked it, you, you kept on shopping with them. So. That human touch when things don't go right or when you have something that you're not clear about is not to be underestimated. And we're trying to find the balance between those two things. But I think that's is. a
0: great segue into the, what I wanted to ask you about next, which is the blocking and tackling of that. Because I know you're working on the customer journey for many aspects of the way your, your customers interact with the bank, from onboarding to all the different types of interactions they have, whether it's lending or day, day-to-day transactions, foreign currency, as we were talking about a minute ago. Can you tell us a little bit about how you go about that? You know, how you go about transforming the experience? What's, what have you so- found that has worked well? And, and what have you learned as you've tried to apply all that you've learned from your whole career in digital now to like a very modern leading
1: bank? Well, I, I think that the approach is two-pronged, right? Your first approach has to be customer experience. What is the UI? What's the UX? Where are the pain points? Where you have a hard stop? How does it look? How does it uh, how do you can you can solve the problems of many other org- organizational members that need to sign something? You know, like how do you do that in a digital environment where it's just you applying for an account? So the digital UI UX customer experience is 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 one part of it. The second part in the United States and many other countries is looking at what you have to do. Right. What are the perfunctory processes that you have to go through? And some of them are regulated. Some are risk-oriented, so you want documents, you want assuredness that that is the person you're talking to, but some are done because that's just how you've always done it. So challenging that concept, like why are we still doing this process? Why why would this matter? Does this really benefit? Can we eliminate this process or can we sort of streamline that process? So we're trying to do these three things together, customer experience, challenging uh, ways to think about what we've done forever in terms of documents and uploading and signing, and then looking at w- how that plays in the regulated environment, which which, which honestly is, is challenged with digital account opening and digital banking, and for good reason, because it is uh, the wild west and it's very hard to uh, keep track of.
0: Uh... Yeah, certainly I found in, in many industries this issue of regulations not always keeping up with what seems re- they were reasonable 15 years ago, but they haven't been updated. And now they're, they're meant to protect consumers, but now they're just getting in the way of things that might even be safer, digital ways of doing th- like Like a wet signature is so safe. You know, like someone can't forge that. And yet you do it digitally in a way that's even safer. And some regulations say, well, no, because, you know, 10, 15 years ago, it wasn't there. At the same time, I've definitely seen in many companies this blurring of what's actually regulatory versus what's our comfort level. And I find my, I've found myself in many meetings over my career, not necessarily meetings I enjoyed, but ones where we were trying to get down to, okay, someone would be telling us, someone from compliance or legal or whatever, these are the regulations would be like, what does the regulation actually say? Because sometimes they have a feeling, well, it requires this. And then when you look at the regulation, like, well, it doesn't actually say that. But it's a question of, you know, how liberally or conservatively or, or how the way it's always been interpreted versus how flexible you could be in interpreting it or seeing it a different way. And any thoughts or challenges if there's people listening who are nodding their heads going, oh man, I fight that fight every day. How do you maximize your role in trying to drive innovation? Well, of course, we don't wanna step over the line and actually be violating regulations, but we also, in my opinion, don't wanna stay 20 feet back from them if it keeps us from delivering the customer experience that will actually be better for our customers.
1: It's an organizational issue, I would say. Who is in your organization responsible for these things? Are they willing to uh, go outside the box and think about what what these uh, regulatory requirements really mean? So I've prided myself, at least in Customers Bank, on being the most innovative, barrier-pushing guy. And I'm also the best friends with legal, compliance, third-party risk management, and fraud.
0: Download the first chapter of the Wall Street Journal bestseller, Winning Digital Customers, The Antidote to Irrelevance, today. Visit winningdigitalcustomers.com to get started.
1: So I'm like an a honorary member of all those teams, so I try to fight their battles but try to push the envelope um, because I, I do think that um, there's a lot of smaller institutions, credit unions, smaller banks, that don't want the stress. They don't want to push it. They don't want to do something different because it's a lot of work, a lot of responsibility to make sure you're monitoring an innovative way to do these things. And with a, the size and staff of a small bank is how do you do it? It's very, very difficult to do it. So I've tried to present a role that, um, that is completely compliant, always interested in understanding the regulations and trying to push into these areas. Like how far do we really need to do these things? Um, and we've had great successes uh, and our our compliance and BSA groups our fraud groups have been incredibly uh, flexible in how they're thinking about these things. And the answer as to how to get everybody to be flexible is to include them in the design process. They're part of customer experience management. We design these onboarding processes with our most uh, regulated fraud and, and BSA groups. So they have a say, they can talk about it. We can talk about the difference between going left or right in a choice? Do we need this information? Do we present this UI uh, here or later? And so we involve them in the process. So it's not just some guys in the design group or communications and marketing. We ask them, what you know and where could we do something that would give you a better, easier job to catch fraud, catch other things? So co-creation has been the answer uh, in Customers Bank for sure. And it's been great and very successful. And we'll do it again tomorrow. It's a continuing process.
0: Indeed. Yeah, I mean, uh, we started talking about compliance, but as you bring up the issue of fraud, I think that's, that's such an interesting one because we work so hard every day to try to make digital experiences easy. And the often um, unintended byproduct is it can make it easier for fraud. In the old days, if you wanted to rob a bank, you had to take some personal risk, like you had to show up at the bank, you know, with your guns and your getaway car. Today, you know, there's obviously ways of sitting at your computer in, in your basement or in, in Eastern, you know, Europe or whatever, and potentially be engaging in fraud in a way that is simpler, quicker, easier, write a bot, hit a thousand banks at once, and you can't get caught because you're half a world away. How does that factor into your thinking about making things easier, but at the same time, or is, is that your experience? Let me let me even see if you would concur with that, that sort of point of view that what? One of the secret downsides of digital is we make it easier for our customers and we also
1: risk making it easier for criminals. Uh, for sure. and luckily, we've been we've had a trial of fire. We had a division called Bank Mobile that um, had a student disbursement business that was doing three hundred and seventy five thousand check accounts a year more than Bank of America and all their branches, um, all digitally uh, for for student loan disbursement. And we launched the T-Mobile money product in seven thousand five hundred T-Mobile stores online as well so that's all digital business so we learned very quickly how to balance business interests safety security and, and compliance and and, and and getting new customers and the answer is uh, it requires you to think a little bit differently about data so instead of thinking oh I've checked the box and I've gotten all these products that the regulator likes like LexisNexis or Experian or credit scores You need to think a little bit more broadly about data and combining data together because all these different data sources are coming from different places. They have different origins. So if you're combining them together in an elegant kind of way, you can add one and one and get three, if you will. So you're combining independent data sources to, at a very low price point, allow you to make a decision about somebody you don't know, a faceless applicant. And so you can say, oh, I'd like to take a picture and a selfie and all these kind of other things. But data itself is the key because data will give you the risk assurance that you're taking a chance on a digital customer. And then of course, that after that, you have to monitor and see what's going on. But I think our predilection has been to be more open and more forgiving. If we're using so many data sources to, to make a pretty informed decision, let's open the account and uh, give them the benefit of the doubt because we're using so much data in our processes that um, uh, they were pretty sure that, uh, that that person is who they are saying they are. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if that answers your question, yeah. but it yeah. is a, it's a complicated issue. And again, tomorrow it's gonna to change because synthetic identity and a lot of gang wars and our participation with things uh, like public par- private partnerships with uh, the FBI and the Secret Service and the US Department of Treasury help inform that discussion. So it's a continued discussion. And when new technology emerges tomorrow, it'll change again. So, um, yeah. Well, hopefully some of these same
0: technologies that help, you know, Facebook put the perfect ad in front of me and figure out really who I am and what I am all about and what my intention is can also help with these things as you describe. I think that that makes a lot of sense. Well, we have only a couple minutes left and, and what I'd really like to just ask you Any other ahas or key lessons learned? You've been uh, in the trenches in this for so many years. I mean, just a few, of course. You know, you're not showing your age. And, uh, you know, I'd be curious if there's anything else that, you know, speaking to an audience of executives who are fighting the fight every day to try to drive, sometimes, you know, it feels like they're pulling a, a mountain up a mountain, you know? at some large companies, trying to drive the kind of transformation that's necessary to keep companies relevant in the face of so much change and so many changing customer expectations. Any other kind of key learnings or insights
1: that you would share with that group in terms of how they can be even more successful? So what I would say is, as a bank customer, right, I would like my bank to invest in the future. right? Not like spend tons of money, but invest something in the future so they could tell me What's a good technology what's not like it offer me something I'm expecting my bank to do some investment in technology so I don't have to go figure out what the best things are that's what I, what I'd like my bank to do and that challenge gets you know exponentially more complicated the, the smaller your bank is because do you have the ability to do that do you have the ability to invest? in understanding technology. Do you have the ability to try out different things if you have a limited budget, uh, a small amount of FTE? And what we've learned here at Customers Bank is that um, it's possible to do, right? There's There's a good amount of innovation that a community or a super regional bank, a bank our size can do that benefits our customers, gives us a lot of learning and gives us a lot of economies of scale. But it's not like uh, you just have to go to vendors and say, I wanna hire some companies to help me check the boxes on things. And it's not like you wanna do everything yourself. You have to find that balance that matches customer experience and the customer expectations, as well as your own organization in a way. And I don't know, I found a great great location here um, in terms of more risk and less risk where we can say, cool, let's just do something. Let's do try crypto. Let's partner with people like Upstart and other kinds of uh, alternate lending platforms. And let's still protect our, our good business, our, our, our commercial business, our, our uh, mortgage lending and, and, and commercial real estate business, C&I lending. Is there a way that we can create an environment where we can do enough of that to still stay, not ahead of the curve, but at the beginning of the conversation? At the same time, still um, accommodate how most people are thinking about banking in yeah. the traditional sense. And I think a lot of small banks, anybody under $5 billion, $10 billion credit unions, um, you just need to believe that they can uh, do a, a bunch of that. Not everything, but some of the innovation and the thinking in this area, because I know their customers. Yeah. Well, that's a great,
0: great point to end on, and uh, we could keep going, but we have our producer is telling me we have reached our allotted time. So, uh, thank you so much, Dan. This has been fantastic. Hope uh, I would ask everyone in the audience to join me in thanking Dan and Armstrong, the Chief Digital Officer of Customers Bank, for bringing us fantastic insights on this uh, episode. And of course, I want to thank Dan and all of you for listening and watching, as always, to the Winning Digital Customers podcast. Until next time, keep transforming. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Winning Digital Customers, the podcast. Find more great episodes at wdcpodcast.captivate.fm on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Overcast, or wherever you listen, and visit winningdigitalcustomers.com to learn more about the Wall Street Journal best-selling book that inspired the podcast.